Yeah, I worked at Fairhaven. Can I just I, make fun of yeah, you? Yeah, please, please do. Because your parents must have been so proud. College <laughs> degree, working in a bike shop. Don't. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. Well, welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. My guest today is Angie Weston. Angie is the founder of Radical Roots MTB, a mountain bike instruction company out of the Bellingham area. Angie, you told me earlier that the you started the company in 2018. Why don't you tell our audience the backstory here. How did you, how'd you start a mountain bike training company? Yeah. So, um, you know, I could start the story with how I discovered mountain biking. If you want a little longer version of it, they are pretty intertwined stories. So, um, okay. I was a sophomore, uh, at Western Washington university here in Bellingham. And I needed two more credits to get my financial aid check that quarter. And I didn't really want to take an extra class with homework and workload. So I scurried the first day of class um, and found a two credit PE class titled Beginning Bicycling. And the only requirements were that you had a bike and a helmet, which I did have. Um, when I left for college, I got my dad got me this rigid Schwinn cruiser bike, like lady step through frame, rigid, meaning it has no suspension, not technically a mountain bike. It was very much just a bike to go get groceries on and whatnot. So I was like, sweet, a two credit PE class, sign me up, take my bike and helmet for a state class. And the instructor is like, um, this is actually going to be beginning mountain biking because I'm a mountain biker. And I literally was just like, what's mountain biking? Like I had never heard of this sport, you know, and I'm here, I'm like 19, 20 years old, just like mountain biking. Okay. And so, yeah, the instructor took us through that quarter, um, on trails around Bellingham. We went out like the inner urban to Arroyo park down to Larrabee state park, Cornwall park. And the class culminate culminated with a ride on Galbraith mountain, which is our local riding zone closest to town and huge network of trails. And yeah, I remember coming back from one of those early mountain bike classes covered in mud and sweat, maybe even a little blood and telling my roommates like, y'all, I just rode my bike off road, like over roots and in the dirt. It was amazing. And they thought I was crazy. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I really enjoyed just discovering more um, outdoor space in Bellingham, right? I'd already lived here for a year or two. And this is back in like 2001. So I, uh, yeah, I, I was pretty interested after that class. And then um, that was in the fall. There was no class offered in the winter. And then my birthday's in the spring. And I remember asking all my friends and family, like, hey, if you're going to get me a birthday present, will y'all just chip in so I can get a mountain bike? And so saved up all the money I could and bought this like $500 hardtail mountain bike um and it had front suspension and knobby tires and i was like i'm gonna take this class again now i have a mountain bike and took the class signed up for the class again in the spring 
it was the same instructor, John Hansen. He's still a good friend of mine to this day. Um, and he was just like, oh, Angie, why don't you show the class how to ride these switchback corners or like show them how to get over this log? And like, he just used me as like um, someone to demo because he knew I kind of knew from the first class I'd taken from him. <laughs> and uh, one thing leads to another and um, John is getting ready to graduate and he recommended me and another friend um, to take on the beginning mountain biking class for the PE department at Western. So I literally learned how to mountain bike in 2001. And then I think in 2002, I started teaching beginning bicycling at Western Washington University as a PE class. <laughs> Basically, I was like, y'all are going to pay me to take people out on these awesome trails, like sign me up. I had no idea what I was doing, but, um, you know, fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> All right. So I have, I have questions now. Yeah. I have questions. First off, I have a vision of this bike that you're describing as having like one of those woven plastic baskets in the front and a, and a bell on it, you know, and, and I don't know, sorry, that's probably not accurate at all, but that's the vision I have as you know, somebody's ringing the bell as they're going down a switchback. Um, number two, you said you all a couple of times, where were you raised? Oh, <laughs> I'm actually born and raised here in Washington. Really? Uh -huh. Okay. You threw me with the you all. <laughs> no. All right. Okay. Um, so maybe like, maybe like Vancouver or Walla Walla, so yeah. Southern Washington. No, I mean, where did you get? <laughs> <laughs> so my, uh, my family did have a short stint in Texas. My parents lived in Texas for a little while. They both were also born and raised in Washington, but um, okay. spent some time in Texas. I was maybe from like the ages two to five, I lived in Texas, but- um, Well, those were your important verbal skills. Very important so verbal, it, okay, yeah, okay. formative years. But uh, okay. yeah, I just, honestly, y'all came from, it, we used to we used to joke a lot in my family, like pretending we were like tech, had picked up all this slang from Texas and we would say y'all is like oh, a joke. Okay. But as the years have worn on, um, I found I was, calling everybody guys, right? It's such a habit in our language to refer to groups of people right. as guys. And as we'll get into my career, I coach a lot of female mountain bikers, a lot of junior girls. And I felt awkward. A lot of times I would be standing in front of them like, okay, guys. And I'm like, I'm literally addressing like 14 year old girls. Why am I calling them guys? And then uh, right. y'all just kind of uh, became okay. the preferred term okay. to refer to groups the, of people and yeah people make fun of me all the time like you're from the south i'm like no federal way <laughs> well south of belgium we're south all we're, right we're south of the border to canadians right <laughs> well that's right exactly so so i get a kick out of that you you, you take your class in fall using a, a cruiser bike and then spring you retake the class well first off what i didn't give you a hard time is you took the class so you could get your financial aid check yeah so, so you take the class to get the financial aid requirements yeah. and then it's turned into this, this thing. And you never know when opportunities are going to present themselves in life. But let me see if I got this right. You take the class in fall using a cruiser. You survived. There was a little blood, which we'll probably come <laughs> talk about in a little bit later in the episode. You come back to your roommates and you say, Hey guys, that was before you said y'all. Um, I, I, I'm taking this thing off road, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And then, so spring quarter comes, you have a birthday, you do the, the whole crowdsourcing, if you will, mm -hmm. you buy a bike, the instructor uses you as the, the lab rat, if you will. And then the next fall you're teaching a class. You're literally 
one paragraph ahead of your students in knowledge, which is awesome. I, I you know, is it's awesome. So, all right. Did you enjoy, and I think I know the answer to this, but did you enjoy teaching the class from the very beginning? Absolutely. Yeah. I was hooked. Okay. okay. Um, before, and before, let me, uh, let me, okay, yeah, hang on a second. And what were you majoring in in college? Because it wasn't mountain bike training. <laughs> or wasn't. Did Western offer that program? I don't know. <laughs> they probably do now. Uh, yeah. no, no, I was, at the time I took on teaching this class, I was undecided. I knew I loved okay. turtles. I'm a big biology nerd. So I okay. figured I would go into biology. But right around that time I was teaching the mountain bike class, I was getting really sick of looking into microscopes because it's a lot of chem and bio requirements to get mm -hmm. to where I wanted to be working with like sea turtles and such. So um, I switched gears a couple years in and ended up graduating with my bachelor of science degree in community health. So um, health education, health promotion, Okay. Um, well, that kind of loosely ties into what yeah. you're doing because it's an exercise activity. All right. Yeah. And I was like, honestly, going through the biology degree, I was like, I need people. I need interaction with humans. So I feel like this was the most sciencey way to actually still interact with people without okay. going straight on to like be a doctor or nurse or something. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you're, you're teaching for Western. You're taking this, you're teaching. So how long did you teach the, the, we'll call it, you know, PE 101. Yeah. How long, how long were you? Yeah. I, yeah. um, I taught it till I graduated in 2005. So any okay. spring and fall quarter that I could make it work in my schedule, I taught it. And yeah, honestly, you said I was like a paragraph ahead of my students and that's not even the case. A lot of people would take beginning bicycling to get their two credits or whatever. And there were fully accomplished mountain bikers. Okay. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, sometimes my students definitely knew more than me, but they were willing to go on rides with me because they were getting credit for it. And I was stoked because I was getting paid for it. But yeah, I basically just regurgitated how I had learned at that point. I was just reusing John's lesson plan roughly. And then I was partnered with this guy, Bobby, who actually knew bike mechanics and such. So we could, we'd have one day's class. Like if the weather was really bad, we would choose that to be the day we worked on, like how to change a flat and break a chain. And, and Bobby would kind of lead that stuff more. Um, so yeah, we tag teamed it. I wasn't so, I wasn't flying okay. out there solo, but I did enjoy it. I did have, um, you know, speaking of bound bike injuries, I did take my students out one day in a windstorm. And, um, luckily we were stopped sessioning this little section. Sessioning just means like you're practicing a section of trail or feature or something. Everyone's off their bikes. We were doing this really hard climb and, um, the wind started to really whip and we heard branches breaking overhead. And so I just, the group was kind of like in front of me blocking the trail. And I was like, let's get out of the woods. You guys go, go, go. And just then this like huge branch breaks and lands on one of my students. Luckily she was off her bike, but, and wearing her helmet. So it landed on her helmet It knocked her to the ground. She got startled from it, but was totally okay. Um, but I was like, that was pretty traumatizing to have a branch fall on a student. And I just remember like we called class then we pedaled back to campus and I had to do like an incident report with my boss at the PE department. And I just broke down in tears. And I think that's when I really realized, so this is probably my like fifth or sixth class with these students under my watch. And that's when I realized like, wow, people's safety is in my hands. Like this is a pretty 
major thing. Like I kind of just been like, Oh, I'm teaching mountain biking, whatever. And after that point, from that point forward, I think I took it a lot more serious because I realized the injury that could be involved in such a, such a sport. Okay. So you graduate from Western and, and it says here on, on your bio, it's like you've been coaching mountain biking skills since 2002, which we now know is Western. And that was beginning yeah. bicycling and is a level three certified is level three certified through the bicycle instructor certification program. Mm -hmm. What does that now in English, for those of us that don't understand that, what does that actually mean? Yeah. So there's organizations um, that certify instructors. So BICP or the bicycle instructor certification program is this entity, this organization that sets out to give certifications, basically just helping to uphold the level of instruction that's happening. So, um, you know, a pro mountain biker, let's say somebody who has been a professional athlete, they're racing at a world cup or national level, they've got sponsorships. <clears throat> a lot of folks would be like, Oh, great. You're so good at this. Why don't you teach me how to do it? But the reality is, is they not, might not actually be very good at teaching mountain biking. They might be really good at doing it themselves, but right. being good at mountain biking and being good at coaching mountain biking are they're interrelated, but they are two different things. So the instruction to get certified is really focused on how do you parlay these complex techniques and strategies to someone learning, or how do you help somebody who's already been a mountain biker further improve their riding? So it's air detection, correction, it's breaking down progressions, explaining things. So there's whole curriculums written um, similar to like ski and snowboard, right? If, if you were a brand new skier snowboarder, you would go up to the mountain. If you were feeling adventurous, you would probably sign up for a lesson first and kind of figure out how to navigate the hill, operate the equipment, et cetera. And so um, ski and snowboard instruction has been around a long time, hundreds of years. And uh, side note, while I was in college, I also did snowboard instruction up at Mount Baker and because I was you like, taught? I taught at snowboarding okay. up at Baker. So I was like, oh, I kind of like teaching these sports I love. So, um, All right. yeah, I got into instruction actually formally through snowboard instruction. And then at the okay. same time, started this mountain bike class in, or, you know, started teaching this mountain bike class at Western. And when I was, when I graduated from Western, I started working in a bike shop. And I worked at Fairhaven. Can I just I, make fun of yeah, you? Yeah, please, please do. Because your parents must have been so proud. College <laughs> degree, working in a bike shop. Totally. Sorry, I just couldn't let that one go. No, yeah, um, I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah, you know, it's funny. No. I graduated, when I graduated from college, I really, I applied to jobs all over the country. I was like, sure, I could live in Kansas or wherever. Like I wanted to be a college health educator. So my internship and stuff through college was with the prevention and wellness department. So I was, I was queued up to be this, you know, work on a university campus, help students navigate making healthy choices in their early adulthood years, which seemed like very formative years for me and my health decisions. So I was on that track and, you know, they don't, turns out they don't really hire people with zero experience <laughs> to do these like big fancy university jobs. So I got a job okay. at the bike shop to just pay my rent while I was looking for other jobs and... I had never worked retail before. I'd never worked wholesale, like industry side of things. It was a bike shop and a ski and snowboard shop. So I okay. got this job to pay my rent and ended up totally falling in love with the industry. I was like, oh, these are my people. Like I'm learning so much about the gear I love to use and these sports I love. So um, yeah, while it wasn't necessarily the like 
you know, job I was heading to. I think my parents saw how much I loved it. So they were proud. Oh yeah. I, I'm totally kidding. You. <laughs> I mean, I, I went to central and why well, I, I dropped out before graduating cause I got offered a really good job and I lasted exactly 89 days because of the 90 day probationary period. And then, so I was, I, I found myself out of college and in Seattle and unemployed. And, uh, I asked my dad for help a company that he worked for. Um, he was in sales and I said, well, they need people in the warehouse. Can't I just work in the warehouse this summer, make some money and you know, I'll, I'll find a job while I'm working in the warehouse. You know, no, you don't want to do that. No, no dad, I need, I'll pay your rent for a couple of months. <sighs> you know, so, so here you are a college dropout with 89 days of job experience. Um, that's even tougher than a college degree and going into the health field. So totally. long story short, my, uh, my dad, it made an introduction and then seven, yeah, seven years later, I ended up leaving that warehouse job. So I spent seven years doing this job. It wasn't, that was not the journey. I think my parents were planning on my college, my college experience to, uh, to do. So I tease, but it's only because it's reminds me of my life. <laughs> so you graduate, you said in 05, right? Yep. Okay. And you open Radical Roots MTB in 18. You, you said you were working in a mountain mountain or a bike store and then ski and snowboard store. Did you do that for the whole 13 years here? No. Or? So, okay. Uh, so what else did you do? Yeah. That job at the bike shop led me to, well, one discover, like I was pretty into that um, industry and that line of work, but then also it got me to meet more mountain bikers in my community, including a crew that worked for, um, there's the couple bike companies here in town. And so I ended up, um, that, that a job opening at Kona bikes. And so I ended up applying to be a receptionist at Kona bikes. And so I took, actually took a pay cut from the bike shop to go be a receptionist at Kona bikes as a wholesaler. And within a year of that job, I would actually within three months of, of that job, I was inside sales support. And then within a year I had my own sales territory and became, a sales rep for Kona bikes. And uh, that job lasted a little over a decade. Okay. And that bike company's in Bellingham. Mm -hmm. Yep. Cause with a name like Kona, I would think Hawaii. Right. That's why I know. Like... that's the, they did name themselves after the Hawaiian islands, but they have no real okay. relation to it. I think just, yeah, um, well, yeah. Four letter word is a great brand name, right? <laughs> right. Right. Okay. What led you to go away from sales into this this training institution? Yeah, so um, through doing my job in sales, I actually had um, sale, my sales territory changed over the years, but initially it started with a lot of states in the Midwest. So um, I was on the phone one day with a shop in the middle of Indiana, and the service manager there was like, hey, you should talk to my wife. She puts on the Midwest Women's Mountain Bike Clinic, which is the country's largest clinic for females to attend to learn how to mountain bike. And I was like, that sounds awesome. So I called up Tanya Julia and I was like, Hey, Tanya, like I'm the Kona rep and I'd love to come to your event. She's like, great. Do you know how to teach mountain biking? I could use an, more instructors. And I was like, totally. I taught at Western Washington university, right? Like I was a bonafide mountain bike instructor in my mind. <laughs> so traveled out. This was probably 2000. Um, seven or eight ish, 2000. Yeah. Somewhere in there. I traveled, I traveled 2008. I traveled out to 
Brown County, Indiana, um, which actually has some great mountain biking outside of Bloomington, Indiana. And um, luckily, Tanya partnered me with an actual certified mountain bike instructor for that weekend event. And I got to see their method. And I was like, ooh, that's cool. Like, they're really effective. They know their stuff. I was like, there is more method to this madness than I was giving it credit for. And it's so funny to think back now. I was like, working on my snowboard certs to not realize that you could also do that in mountain biking. I really needed to like see it to make that connection. And after seeing this certified coach just crush it over the weekend, I was like, okay, yeah, this is what I want. I want to pursue my certs. So okay. um, back then BICP was just, uh, was the international mountain bike. It was like, I can't even remember the acronym now, but it was an international mountain bike certification program. It's gone through a few iterations since this time, but um, yeah, it's all the same. Well, it's the curriculum's been, you know, updated, but it's all pretty much the same base of work and um, ethos of teaching. So, yeah, I started seeking getting certifications um, just because I thought it was cool. And I was like, ah, I don't know. I feel like I love teaching and I love mountain biking and I love my job as a sales rep, but I'm just going to kind of do this for fun and get better at it. So um, back, so in 2010 is when I got my level three cert. And yeah, it's just kind of what I did as like a side gig or like moonlighting. I used to uh, always say my job as a sales rep paid my rent, but my job as a coach paid my heart and soul. Like it really gave my, you know, nine to five grind at the desk kind of a little bit more meaning because now I could, oh, okay. I can, uh, you know, I'm, I was the rep for West Virginia and West Virginia has this incredible mountain bike park, snowshoe bike park. And my first trip to snowshoe, I found one, two women to ride with in my first weekend of snowshoe. And I was like, how would y'all feel about doing a women's weekend here? And they were like, let's do it. So yeah, in 2009, I started the snowshoe women's downhill clinic and ran that event for um, 12 years before I passed it on to some East coast coaches that now run it. But I would basically just turn my sales trips into uh, or I would like plan my sales trips for um, Kona around events I wanted to put on or coach at um, in in the country. So yeah, through the Midwest and Mid-Atlantic, I ended up kind of piggybacking my sales trips with fun coaching events, or I'd have a really great bike shop, you know, a great account of mine. And I'd be like, hey, is there anything I can do extra for y'all? Do you want to hold a women's weekend event? So I would just go to a bike shop. They would help me organize and I would just train women at the shop, women in the area on mountain bike skills. And it was cool because my clients loved it. My, my, um, my sales, my bike shop, the bike shop that I worked with would really appreciate it, appreciate that. I kind of had this little extra something, something to give their, um, their clients and their community. So I kind of just started to like turn into this thing I did as a side hustle, which essentially meant, you know, my three weeks of paid vacation from Kona never actually, I never actually went on vacation. I just would work events in that time off. So, um, I was kind of burning the candle at both ends for a few years in there. And there just got to a point where my energy arc for coaching was still on a climb on a, on an ascent and my energy arc for being a sales rep and, um, doing that whole rigmarole was, uh, on a decline and, I just kind of, I got to this point in 2017 where I was working so hard and all these extra hours and I was really good at being a sales rep. Anyone I would meet and I would be like, oh, I'm a sales rep for Coda. They're like, oh, that's my dream job. You know, I was like, gosh, I have this dream job that people dream of. And I'm like getting really burnt out on it. So 
Um, yeah, in August of 2017, I, I basically proposed to my, the owners of the company, like, hey, here's this idea I have on how I can like evolve my job here and transition out of sales and maybe more into marketing. Maybe we can put on these like women's clinics or I can, you know, build up these female ambassadors so we can really start to grow the sports. Like being a, mount, a female mountain biker in the early 2000s was a very, um, not a very common thing. Like I would definitely mm -hmm. end up at trailheads or up at Whistler bike park or like snowshoe bike park and be one of very few females that I would see on the trails or in the lift lines. So I just started to grow this real passion <clears throat> in making the sport more accessible, especially to women or anyone experiencing a barrier to get into it into the sport. So, um, I had this big proposal. I gave the owners and I was like, there's no way they can say no to this. And then they were like, Oh, we just really want you out. You're just selling bikes. <laughs> and I get that right. That's the job I was hired for. And I just, just couldn't take that answer any longer as, as, um, it just, I just knew I was just kind of showing up to do my job and not really feeling motivated. Like I needed to be and to be happy with what I was spending my time in my life doing. So yeah, if that didn't work out. The evolution of my job didn't work out. So I was like, well, if you don't want me to do it for y'all, I guess I'm going to find someone else to do it for. So I put in my two weeks and um, quit my job in August of 2017 and actually had a bunch of coaching gigs lined up through the fall. So I just coached and sort of recovered from being like such an overworker for so many years and like hit the reset button pretty hard that fall and winter and got busy building my website and my business plan and getting advice and getting insurance and LLC and all the things lined up. And then in February of 2018 is when I actually launched my, um, my new business. And, uh, oh yeah, I forgot to mention that pretty much immediately after I quit um, my job at Kona, um, another bike company here in town, Transition Bikes, um, they approached me to ride for them. They were like, we love what you're doing. Can we bring you onto the team? And I was like, let me try one of your bikes first and make sure I like them. <laughs> so hopped on a demo bike, fell in love with it. I was like, oh yeah, these bikes are awesome. And this company's great. And it's so funny. I think back to that meeting I had with um, Lars, the team manager at Transition, and I had been so used to like selling my ideas around coaching and events and how I can offer brands this value. And so I sat down with Lars and I had this whole like slideshow of like, here's all the things I could bring to Transition. And he just sat there and listened to my proposal. He was like, this is awesome, Angie, but I think we just want to sponsor you for what you're already doing and who you already are. Like you can do all this stuff if you want, but like no pressure. Let's just bring you on the team. What do you need? <laughs> like, okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, so we're going to, we're going to, this is going to be the fun part of the conversation. Okay. <laughs> so from quitting your job uh -huh. to opening radical roots, MTV, you navigated opening a business <laughs> Yeah. and I can summarize it like this. It went flawlessly. Everything was super easy. And all the paperwork that you had to fill out was so simple that you couldn't imagine why nobody else opens businesses. Right? Is that pretty much the story? You nailed okay. it. You nailed it. So we've skipped through we skipped through all the reality of the show. And you open up in February of 2018. How did you go about introducing the world to your idea? Instagram. Okay. okay. Yep. And was it was it received quickly and was it received well? Yeah, 100%. Um, was it? Okay. 
Yeah, I launched and, you know, I fortunately I'm in a community um, that really embraced me and my um, the work I do. And so I had already been coaching for so many years and had honestly like already coached quite a few mountain bikers in Bellingham. So when I launched my new business, so many community members advocated for me and shared and spread the word and transition launched this big um, video project called um, transition characters piece. And they, um, you know, um, uh, highlighted me and the work I do and promoted my business. That certainly helped. They have transitioned as a much louder uh-huh. microphone than I do or megaphone than I do. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a combination of transition and my other sponsors promoting me, community members um, promoting and advocating and recommending me. And then, yeah, just my own like social media posts to launch it. So that's, so when you, well, let's talk about training specifically, mm-hmm. cause this is what I'm envisioning. You, you basically, tell your students to pedal faster, 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 yeah. hit the brakes. Nope. No brakes. Pick yourself up off the yeah, ground. No brakes. No brakes. No okay, brakes. So, pull up. Yeah. That's just all I tell them. Yeah. 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 So that's is now that I've now, now I'm a level three. You know how to mount bike. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to join the team? I, yeah. I don't think you want me anywhere near your students. <laughs> Cause that tree branch story, that would be the least of our worries. Um, so you, you, you launched using so- social media, your existing network, and you had the bike brand throw their marketing weight behind you a little bit. What did the first year look like? How many, how many things, how many students did you train? I mean, give, now give me kind of an overview of, of what Radical Roots looked like then to kind of what it looks like today. Has it changed much? It has. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely been evolution. Okay. So when I launched, it was okay. all like, get customized private lessons with Angie Weston. And it was like, I really was big on um, these customizable private lessons because most of what you see offered in mountain bike lessons are group lessons or events. So you can take, Mm -hmm. you can sign up for, you know, beginner mountain biking 101 or foundations of wheel lifts or, you know, intro to cornering or something that you kind of sign up for these group classes in the Seattle area, Vancouver area, obviously Whistler Bike Park, you can be taking classes up there um, to get mm-hmm. used, you know, to learn the, the the ropes. And so a lot of instructors at the time in the area were offering group offerings. And I was like, man, people want like this one-on-one interaction, something specific that they want to focus on. So I really, um, I didn't go with like Angie Weston coaching because I knew the potential for growth existed. So even though mm-hmm. I was my brand at the time, I was Radical Roots Mountain Bike Instructor's only instructor. I was like, let's just, so yeah, if you if you saw my old website, it was definitely more about like private lessons with me. It was my bio on there. It's my accolades and stuff, right? And okay. um, now if you go to my website, you see I have a whole team of coaches. I have a whole slew of programs and events and I do group lessons. Mm-hmm. I do programs for juniors. I still do private lessons. I have coaches that work for me that teach private lessons also. Um, so yeah, it's definitely grown in it's, uh, what we, what we offer and in who is executing these things. So, uh, did, yeah, did that answer your question? And what, yeah, it did. In what way, if any, did the pandemic impact what you were doing? 
Yeah, it turns out a global pandemic is actually great for the mountain bike industry. I think for all outdoor sports got a boost in the pandemic. So um, initially it took a big um, plummet. I had events that had already sold out for the season that um, had to be refunded. And so, uh, yeah, my bank account like had this big, huge like um, plunge to it because of that. And I didn't take on any private lessons or new clients uh, probably from like March until June-ish when it became okay. safe to do things distanced and masked and whatnot. So, and outdoor things were promoted as being a little safer. So I, um, yeah, I got busy on doing, le- offering lessons again and stuff with just a lot of precaution and procedure in place. And I run a junior program. We'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more, but the Radical Rippers is my program for junior girls, ages 10 to 18. And I'd already had mm-hmm. my spring season set up to start in April. And so in March, I had to cancel all of that, but um, have a, a really great team of coaches who'd been helping me, who helped me execute the Radical Rippers. And together we just brainstormed this way to pivot and we did these virtual classes. So we had weekly um, Zoom meetings with our um, riders and we covered things about nutrition and we did a book club and we talked about, um, yeah, all kinds of like repairs and taking care of your bike. And we just kind of still had this educational component that we could try to offer virtually since we couldn't do anything in person. So yeah, things pivoted and changed. It was a little awkward, very stressful for a little bit there, but then as the world started to open up again, um, yeah, there was huge influx of new riders coming to me for lessons. So for like the second half of 2020, well into 2021 radical roots, MTB handled more private lessons than ever before. That was definitely like a peak for one-on-one or small group coaching. And then late 2021 is when I offered my first event again. I did my, we, I do an event called Transition Women's Weekend. We offered one of those in mm-hmm. October. It sold out immediately. People were so hungry for a group event again. Um, this year I'm seeing it kind of like mellow out a little bit. Like it's definitely tapering. People have a lot more events and things to pick from in general. So um, it's not quite the frenzy that it was last year, um, but definitely still an uptick in riders and um, the whole, you know, scare about don't get injured and, and the hospitals are clogged, like don't send yourself to the hospital, I think really also helped increase um, interest in getting lessons. So yeah, it was, okay. um, it was weird times, but also pretty all right for business once we figured out how to do it safely. So you mentioned the transition women's weekend. Mm-hmm. What, what does that entail? Yeah. So I mean, it's for women and it's for the weekend. Yeah. Okay. I got, <laughs> I got that, it. but yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it's a, uh, it's a group training event. So we, um, yeah, it's uh, we meet up on Friday night for a little meet and greet at the transition outpost, which is transitions bike shop in town. It's right at the base of the trails uh, on Galbraith mountain. And gets a nice little meet and greet to calm nerves and meet each other, let the coaches mingle with the participants and the participants can kind of ask questions, whatever they want. And it's women's weekend, but we're really open to anyone that self-identifies as a woman, but also if you're non-binary or gender non-conforming, we're really welcoming space. It's basically just not for cis men, but um, we, mm-hmm. um, so we're welcoming space, which I think uh, when you look at a sport like mountain biking, it can be pretty intimidating. There's 
uh, risk of physical injury. There's a lot of lingo and slang there that might alienate people or not make them feel like they're part of the club. Um, bike shops can kind of cause, sometimes bike shops don't necessarily nail it. They can kind of cause their own little layer of a barrier to entry into the sport for a minority or, you know, less, um, uh, yeah, just somebody that's, you know, like, somebody you don't see in the sport is often marginalized communities. Um, they don't always okay. nail it. Some of them do. And then um, just, you know, the equipment, navigating trails, being out in the woods, like there's kind of a lot to it. So um, I just try to, yeah, this weekend's all about just kind of bringing folks in to get them comfortable with the sport. Or if you're already a mountain biker, a lot of times you just like working on your skills amongst other riders that kind of look like you. And so, um, yeah, we bring the women together we do the meet and greet Friday night, and then we meet up Saturday morning, and we go through what we call skills and drills, or uh, in our grass room, right? We use a really like a grassy field, a really safe space, and minimize some of the consequences of practicing some of these skills. Uh, at Radical Roots MTB, <laughs> we have what we call progression props, so like fake roots and ramps and things like actually adding obstacles to the grass to start to learn timing and execution of pretty critical moves, braking, um, wheel Oh, lift. you said earlier, no braking. Yeah. You said no braking earlier. <laughs> it is a joke, but like the, um, the mountain biker that Macy isn't a coach often gives the advice to newer riders. Just like, you need to use your brakes less or just like go faster because uh, in some situations, momentum is your friend, but obviously if you don't know what to do with that momentum, it can be very dangerous. So uh, we definitely teach proper braking. We even teach classes on how to bail. I've got these gymnastics mats I pull out in the grass and I'm teaching adults how to tuck and roll out of things because you just, as an adult, you literally like spend most of your life avoiding hitting the ground. So um, you know, mountain biking is an inherently dangerous sport. So if I can teach you how to properly fall, I might be able to reduce your risk of injury. So yeah, we go, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. I want to, I want to interrupt yeah. you. Now. We're going to go back to that fall quarter in Bellingham yeah. on the cruise, on the cruiser bike. Yeah. Did you take a fall? Oh yeah. Okay. So how long into the class did you, before you took your first fall? Oh, I don't remember what ride that was. Probably pretty, one of the earlier rides, I was crossing a wet wooden bridge, like a bridge over a stream. And I think I like mm -hmm. pedaled or braked hard on the bridge and my tires just slid right out and I fell off the bridge. Off the bridge into the, into the, into, into a creek, into the creek or something. Yeah. Yeah. But it really wasn't that far off the ground or anything. Okay. So early on you were exposed to the, accident in what's the word I'm struggling for kind of the, the reality that this sport is going to, you're going to end up on the ground at some point in this sport that your, your, your bike is going to not cooperate. It's always the bike's fault totally. and you, you're going to, you're going to end up on the ground in some capacity. Okay. So now we're going to go back to, you have gymnastic mats and you're teaching adults how to fall off their bikes. Mm -hmm. I want to make fun of that so bad, but I just do. But explain to me because are you having them like pedal towards the mats or what, how does one learn to fall off of a bicycle? Yeah. Just like any skill, we teach it in layers. So we start with just, 
If you're intimidated to throw your body down to the ground, understandably so, we'll start you on your knees. So you're just kneeling and you tuck and roll onto the mat. So we're learning how to land like on our shoulder. Basically think of like your arms and shoulders making a big hula hoop and you're trying to disperse the impact through that hoop. So you're not hitting your head. You're not putting your hand out, um, causing a foosh, right? I've coached, I coach a lot of nurses and doctors, ER docs and stuff come to me for lessons because they're smart. They don't want to get hurt. They see all the injuries on their end. So I learned a foosh is a fall on an outstretched hand, right? It's an acronym for fall on outstretched hand. So that's a very common injury in mountain biking, a lot of broken collarbones, dislocated shoulders, broken wrists, things of that nature. So if you can tuck and roll and disperse that energy, you're a lot um, less likely to hurt yourself. So, uh, I teach proper tuck and roll. It's kind of this idea of like, yeah, if you crash on your bike, I mean, things happen, it might happen so quickly. You have no time to respond. However, if you don't ever practice a tuck and roll, your body doesn't realize this is an option for you. So by practicing it, you're just kind of giving yourself the chance to maybe use it in the heat of the moment, should you need it. But nothing's guaranteed, right? So start from your knees, tuck and roll onto the mat, get a feel for like, okay, that doesn't really hurt. I get the idea of the motion here, what I'm aiming for. Then you do it from your feet. Um, And then I have this technique we call the stab and roll where you um, do ride up to the side of the mat on your bike. You lower yourself with your foot. So you're not actually crashing like we do it as safely as possible, but you're getting practice at actually letting the handlebar jab the ground and take the impact. And then you turn that into your tuck and roll. So um, it's pretty amazing how simple it sounds. And when, even when I demo it to people, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. And then as soon as their bike starts to go down, they stick their hand out, right? They like try to grab the ground with their hands. It's like, nope, we got to redo it. So letting the bar take the impact is a great strategy um, for helping reduce booshes. <laughs> so we go over all that. Yeah. What? Okay. And any sport that has a foosh, that's just a cool, when we talked on the phone before recording this, right. And, you know, when you said foosh, I just go, I got to figure out how to work that into this conversation. That was my one thing I wanted to work in and you've and done that. It. So awesome. Sweet. Yay. So that's, so you, you, you got them on the, on the grassy, relatively safe place. That's Saturday morning. Yep. What, how does the rest of the weekend then go? Then Transition feeds us all lunch. We do a big sandwich bar, like build your own sandwich. We've got one of the things I'm most excited about is our DIY trail mix bar. So we got a little bar with all the different trail mix ingredients you could ever want. And you get to like scoop them into your baggie and the portions you want, zip it up, take it out on the trail with you. So after lunch, we go on a trail ride and actually start to practice on trail session, get some real life um, attempts at um, these new skills we worked on in the grass. And an important note before the weekend happens, I send an intake survey to all the participants. And so prior to you showing up, I've sorted the riders based on its expectations, experience, goals, things like that. So you're with, a, there might be 40 women at this event, but you're in a group of like six of them that are really similarly matched to you. And you have a coach and an assistant coach with that group. So you're working on your progressions with your group. You're going out on your trail ride with your group, but then we're doing our lunches and meals and stuff together as a big crew. Um, yeah, because if you were a relative novice, it would be, in my opinion, very intimidating to be paired up with a, you know, a semi-pro, totally. fearless, fearless rider who's, you know. Yeah, and if you're one of our groupies yeah. and you've come to six Transition Women's Weekend events, you've learned a lot at that point. You're ready to move on beyond the basics. So you can get in a group that mm-hmm. maybe has a little higher pace and gets to some more complex skills if you're ready for it. So. And so how often do you run this event? Um, yeah. Once a year? Uh, 
couple times That's a year. It. Yeah. So um, I guess I'll finish. So after we ride this... trail Saturday, we come back to yeah. transition headquarters. We do some more um, like education chats. I'll teach um, demystifying your suspension. So mountain bikes are sus- suspend riders, right? There's front and often mm-hmm. rear shocks. There's a lot of setup to those. So, and it can be pretty overwhelming, complicated, intimidating. So I do a little class on setting up suspension. Um, I've got one of my favorite body workers, um, this gal in town, Caroline, who is a old Pilates teacher and acupuncturist and just genius about fine tuning the body. And she does uh, exercises on like hips and shoulders and mindset and all this. So you can kind of choose your little afternoon session Mm -hmm. off the bike to learn more. And then, um, Transition feeds us all dinner. So we all get together at the like employee lounge upstairs at Transition Headquarters and have dinner and social time and drinks together. And it just, one of my biggest missions with Transition Women's Weekend and with my uh, big events is to grow this community of cyclists. So we can do that on the bike on rides, but it is really nice to have off the bike time to like chat and socialize and get to know each other and mm-hmm. just kind of find your people. And then Sunday we do it all over again. We do the skills and drills in the grass, lunch, afternoon ride and then it's high fives and farewells and exchanging phone numbers and such so um that's kind of what the weekend looks like i do a few of these a year um obviously like i started with a couple in 2019 they went awesome i even did one in vermont that year uh transition women's weekend east then the pandemic hit and then i got one in in 2021 in the fall and then this year i've hosted one out in north carolina already and one here in bellingham and actually this morning i just opened reg for our october event in bellingham so if this sounds like something okay. you're into i don't know when this podcast will go out but if it's not sold out by then you can sign up for transition women's weekend happening october 8th and 9th here in bellingham awesome so i have a question so you just you north carolina are you are you shipping a bike <laughs> From Bellingham to North Carolina, or do you get a bike there? How does yeah, that work I fly. for you? Because bikes don't go on airplanes They do. Well. Yeah, I fly with my bike all the time. They make special bike bags. So you take the wheels off mm-hmm. and twist the handlebars and zip tie everything down or Velcro everything in place. And yeah, I sh- so I fly with my bike um, when I go do those events. And then um, another great perk of the Transition Women's Weekend event is that you get, uh, we have a fleet of demo bikes for participants to try. So if you want to throw your leg over a new bike for the weekend, you can do that. You don't have to, by all means, whatever bike you show up on mm-hmm. is totally cool. Assuming it is safe and works <laughs> and fits you. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a van vans full of demo bikes around the country. And so I work with the, the, um, the folks at transition to make sure I have a van of bikes available. So at the North Carolina event, I actually had a big transition van full of demo bikes, plus my own personal bike I'd flown out with. Okay. So you're just, I mean, oversimplifying this, you just become a, a brand ambassador for transition, but you're also an ambassador to to women, to the sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to think of myself okay. as that. Mm-hmm. I actually, I like to call okay. myself a number one hype girl, transition hype girl, mountain biking hype girl. I'll be your hype girl. Scott, you are crushing it. I love your podcast. <laughs> awesome. Checks in the mail. <laughs> let, let, okay, so I'm, I'm reading here. So you've got your Radical Racing Team and the famous Radical Rippers Junior Development Program. Let's talk about the famous Radical Rippers Junior Development Program. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Why are they, why are they famous? How, because you're the hype girl and you've made them famous. <laughs> why, why are you calling them? Why are you calling them famous? Um, 
it's just kind of something that has taken a life of its own. So I think people hear of Radical Rippers, aside from knowing Radical Roots MTB or knowing me. It's a... Mm -hmm. So, um, and Transition has made a video about us. So people around the country learned about Radical Rippers through Transition's promotion of it. And yeah, I get people reaching out to me all the time. They're like, can you start a Radical Rippers chapter in Phoenix, Arizona or whatever? I'm like, no, but you can. <laughs> like, okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah. Why not call myself, why not call my program famous? <laughs> All right. No, no, no. That's fine. So what, what is this? You know, this teaches junior, junior girls how to ride. Yep. Is this competitive? Um, it's both. So, um, yeah, it was born out of the popularity of after school riding programs. So a lot of the elementary, junior high, high schools here in town have parent volunteers. They go through our local mm -hmm. advocacy group, which is the WBC Waka mountain bike coalition. They're kind of our trail stewards here in town. They um, they have an educational branch and they host, um, they help volunteers in the community, parents, et cetera, hold these after-school writing groups. And um, one of the owners of Transition, um, it's owned by two guys, um, Kevin and Kyle and their wives. And Kyle's wife, Carrie, um, well, Kyle and Carrie have a daughter that was in an after-school ride program. And she was just like, there aren't any girls showing up to these rides and I would just so much rather ride with girls. So Carrie was like, let's start an all girls after school riding program. So Carrie started this group called the flying squirrels and every season there's 80 to hundred elementary age girls that ride with the flying squirrels. So it's an after school riding program that doesn't matter what school you go to. Um, so it kind of brings girls from all the schools in the area together to ride after school together. So, uh, and it uses parent volunteers, community members, um, they're, they're basically ride leaders. So that's kind of the first certification you get in that mountain bike certification we talked about earlier, right? Like there's ride leaders, the base, then you level one, level two, level three, and then you become an instructor trainer. That's kind of the, the ladder. And um, so Carrie, um, you know, helps people get their ride leader cert. The WBC helps people get their ride leader cert. They take these girls out as um, a way to just get them used to riding Galbraith, riding in groups, you know, just spending time on their bikes with friends outdoors. Um, and Carrie, a, a year or two into that program, she approached me. It's like, hey, do you want to come coach a little bit? Like, just I'll have you show up to a practice and we can have it be, you know, a little instruction from you. I was like, absolutely. Yeah, I would love that. So I started showing up to some flying squirrels practices um, to give some coaching to the riders and then Carrie was like, you know, some of these girls are now getting into middle school. They don't want to ride with second graders. They kind of want more coaching. Um, they're ready to do things that like me and my team can't necessarily train them on. So she really um, was a big part in me starting Radical Rippers because she just basically was like, I'll deal with all the parent communications. You just got to do the coaching aspect. And um, I was like, okay, like, how do I say no to this? Right. Like as if as a little girl, I would have loved an opportunity like this. So I just kind of felt like, even though I wasn't sure I could do it, I just had to start and figure it out. And luckily I'd carry and transition bikes really like holding, um, you know, space for me to be able to explore that and work out the kinks. And yeah. So we, at first we called ourselves flying squirrels. Also, it was just like, Oh, are you a flying squirrel on Tuesdays or Wednesdays? And it got a little confusing. Um, but these, yeah, these older riders who had been flying squirrels for a couple of years were um, ready to push it more. And so I just went the first season I had 
that layer of like more advanced flying squirrels, I just went to them and I was like, do y'all want to name this program? Like, I feel like it's a little confusing to be flying squirrels also. So they came up with, uh, we did a whole naming contest and the favorite amongst them was radical rebels. And I just didn't really sit with me. Right. I was like, I don't feel like girls on mountain bikes are necessarily rebellious. Like let's normalize this a little bit. And the word rippers had come up at some point. I love a good alliteration. So yeah, Radical Rippers was born. And that first year, I think we had 14 girls in the program. And I had maybe four or five other coaches helping me, just women in the community who had their certifications. Don't have time to do coaching as a full-time gig, but love the reward they get doing it when they can. So I had a group of um, adult women who were willing to help me with it and Carrie willing to help me with it. So yeah, we started Radical Rippers and... Now, I think, I think that was in 2019 and, um, yeah, this, this season I have, uh, you know, or let's, I guess I'm in the middle of selling fall registration right now, but this past spring we had about 60 girls in the program. So yeah, we regularly have about 60 girls that come ride with us ages 10 to 18. And again, we intake survey, we send them intake survey beforehand. We split them into groups based on. Um, age is a little bit more prominent at this, at this point in their lives. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're, if you're an eighth grader, you don't really want to be with fourth and fifth graders necessarily. So I do kind of divide age range, experience, expectation, goals. Also what day of the week, because there's 60 of them, we spread practices out, um, Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays. So you kind of pick what day of the week, what group you go in. And then, yeah, you spend eight weeks riding for two hours, um, after school, one day a week with your group and yeah, we, we explore Galbraith. We do some local pump tracks in town. We ride at Padden, uh, Lake Padden. We do the progression props in the grass and hit the ramps. And yeah, it's a whole thing. It's pretty exciting um, to see the level of riders um, that are coming out of the program. I mean, obviously not just from our coaching, but just from their sheer determination in the sport. So a lot of these um, riders are now racing at a national level and getting accolades of their own. And it's just because they've really just kind of gotten in their groove in the sport and they ride a ton and they've had some really excellent training and yeah, it's pretty cool. That's very cool. And then the radical racing team, is that adults? Those are junior girls also. So from the Radical Rippers, okay. I had a group of riders that were really keen on racing. Um, uh, there's regional events, national events, uh, as well as like the WBC I was telling you about, our local trail um, advocacy group. They hold mm-hmm. a Wednesday night race series called the Whatcom World Cup races. And they're not actually World Cups, right? That's just what we call them. But the yeah. local race series uh, really a couple of years ago, hardly had any girls showing up to it. So um, the more experienced radical rippers came to me and were like, we want to start radical race. We want to be on a race team together. And they like, they cornered me one day at practice and they were like, Angie, we have to do this. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like I've never run a race team before. I've barely even been on a race team, <laughs> but okay. Like let's figure it out. So um, there's this, there's this real rad racer in town, Courtney McFadden. She's raced professionally for over a decade. She's traveled the world racing her cyclocross and XC bike. And so I partnered with Courtney and a couple other women in the community and we started a race team. So Radical Racing Group, you know, started last year um, basically because they forced me to. 
<laughs> no. It's also because, um, yeah, I mean, obviously I love the idea of supporting these girls with whatever they need to grow in the sport. And there's a real interest for racing. And if I can foster any kind of team environment, progression, intentional practice, goal setting, all of that stuff, like I'm into it. And the race team seemed like a really great way to be able to do that. No, that does sound, it sounds very cool. These shows don't have any set length of time, but you know, we don't want to, we could talk for a long, long time here. So let's, let's transition to though, something that you said, well, I'm on your, is I'm slowly moving around your website today. I'm, I'm looking at your, uh, you've got a headline here that says our radical approach. And I see two women seemingly facing off on bicycles like they're going to joust or something here this is this really know, very yeah, well, they're, they're kind of the, the the woman that i can see facing me is kind of got this intense look at the other person is that other person you by the way it's got that person has long hair so it might be you there's a a placard that says linda on it Linda, she's great. Yeah, so that is that's L- Linda's on her bike, and I am the rider with my back to you. I'm off. Of, I'm mm-hmm. off. The, I'm, I'm just standing on the ground holding Linda's handlebars. But do you see how, at first yeah. glance, though, this looks like you're facing totally. off? Okay. I love that. I, so, yeah, and, and, seeing this through my eyes. Obviously, I, know, I was there, so I know what was happening. But yeah, seeing it through eyes that aren't familiar, I can see what you're. Yeah, because you seeing. can't quite tell. Yeah, it's just, so you, you, our unique way of offering fun, safe, mega progression sessions. Mm-hmm. And then in very small print, like the disclaimer, because progression doesn't have to be painful or boring. We got you. <laughs> That's almost like the, you know, side effects may include <laughs> small, small, small stuff. So walk me through what, prog- what progression means in a training yeah. session. So just a little insight, there's this kind of saying in mountain biking, right? They're like, oh, if you're not bleeding, you're not trying hard enough. Or if you're not crashing, you're not trying hard enough. There's this kind of like tough guy, like, you know. It's just a flesh wound. As your your forearm sticking out through the skin, you're fine. Duct tape, go. When I was learning to mountain bike and I would crash, my buddies would look at it and like, okay, yeah, I've got like a big hematoma on my hip. They're like, ah, that's a two beer crash or whatever. You know, like how many beers it would take to get over the pain was like a rating system they used. (laughs) So we don't use that though. That's not so much our... Okay. That's not, that's not the, that's not the pain. So that, you know, like when you go to the doctor and it's like, how much pain are you in? He's got the smiley face to the frowny face. Is that, do you have beers set up here? Okay. Um, All right. So yeah. So I feel like there's this kind of misconception that like you have to crash or you have to hurt yourself to progress. And that's just absolutely not true. Um, You can do a really like, like most women, they do it the smart way. They want to sign up and have the sign up for a lesson and have the progressions laid out to them in this digestible step-by-step, you know, you're successively, you're building the next layer meticulously, intentionally, and, mm-hmm. and the riders fueled by the successive successes, right? So, right. Um, yeah. So what I'm doing here in this picture is I'm holding Linda's handlebars to help provide her a little balance it's what we call a static hold. 
So in this, I don't know what exactly we're covering at this moment, but if I were to like lean Linda's bike to the right, it would kind of simulate what her bike would be doing in a right-hand corner. And so then Linda could make mm -hmm. adjustments to her body position to find balance in that right-hand turn. So she's building a little muscle memory in a, in a way she can really feel it without there being trees and single track and speed and like all the other, you know, elements. In a very controlled yes, way. A very controlled way to build muscle memory and to mm -hmm. practice. And then also I'm standing right there with my eyes on her. So I can be like, Ooh, pop your hip out a little bit more. Watch that shoulder. Let's move this elbow up. Right. I can be making my new adjustments. Um, and you know, it's all the little things that add up to the big things. So when I can hold a student in a position like this and they can really get a feel for it, they're so much more likely to, um, replicate that feel out and you know so from a static hold it would probably be um cone going around cones in the grass or on a dirt road or something and then we would take it to a trail with not a huge steep grade and then once you start to get the hang of it there we can take you to faster bigger corners etc so progression is just building each layer um you know, mountain biking is a very complex sport. You've got uh, equipment that's complex. You've got two wheels, two brakes, often two pieces of suspension. Um, so there's a lot to navigate just in the, the technology and the equipment alone. And then you add into that. We've mm -hmm. got uphill skills, downhill skills, everything in between. Um, there's just a lot to it. And a lot of folks just look at biking as this hobby they had as a kid, like, oh, I know how to ride a bike. So they throw their leg over their bike and then they go mountain biking. And it's soon enough, they get it over their head and either, um, you know, get really hurt and then seek instruction or get close to getting really hurt, seek instruction, or they just get frustrated. They're like, gosh, all my riding buddies ride that rock roll. And I've never done it. Cause it terrifies me. They can sign up for a lesson and I'll go back into their foundation and be like, oh yeah, you're afraid of this rock roll. Cause you have no idea how to use your front brake properly, which a bad timed front brake on a rock roll could send you what we call OTB over the bars. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, which, uh, which would lead to a foosh <laughs> could lead to a foosh. Um, so OTB to yeah. a foosh. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, that's right. idea of progression is really just taking bite-sized pieces of this, right? Like I love the analogy, like how do you eat an elephant? It's one bite at a time. And you can really look at mountain biking on technical terrain as this giant elephant and you're really not going to just sit down and feast on the whole thing in one sitting. So it's like taking those little bites and making it digestible and understanding um, like the foundational pieces to start to master before you can add the more complex and dangerous layers. Let me go back to this photo with Linda. Okay. At the time that this that you guys were doing this or you all were doing this, how, how skilled of a rider was Linda? Yeah. Linda's a great mountain biker. She's been mountain biking for a long time. She's actually a great community, community advocate and does a lot locally, um, volunteers a lot of her time and stuff. So yeah, she's a super solid rider. So this wasn't like her first six months no. on a bike type no. thing. This was, this is, this is a skill in this photograph. It's, it's a skilled rider that you're trying to fine tune technique. Mm -hmm. Would that yeah, be? Yeah, okay. that's a great way to. So Linda, that was actually okay. taken out of Transition Women's Weekend event. That's why she got the nameplate on her bike. We're all in the nameplates over number plates. <laughs> <laughs> so we can meet each other. I was waiting for those. Remember when you were a kid, you had, you know, the, 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 the like the streamers that came out of the handlebars oh, yeah. too. You know, I was like, that's yeah, kind of yeah. Like, 
putting a baseball card or yeah. something in the spokes and you know, click, click, click. Yeah. 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 That's, that's how I would show up. Yeah. So at that event, Linda was out there certainly were people who had been on a bike for six months or less, or maybe not even really mountain biked much before. And they would have been in one group. And then mm -hmm. the group Linda was in my group. I'm the lead coach for the weekend. So <clears throat> Linda was in my group um, okay. for finding her cornering. So yeah, she obviously already knows how to navigate trails, but she's just ready to take it to the next level. And, um, yeah, has come to more than one event because okay. she's smart. <laughs> well, let me ask you. Let me let's let's talk about the Bellingham Whatcom County area. Okay. There's no place to ride. No good. Yeah, no to good ride. riding no, here. Yeah, just you gotta go straight to Canada. So, go straight to Canada. <laughs> if somebody were okay. Put you on the spot. This is, a, this is an I understand this is an impossible question, or at least I think it's going to be an impossible question. For you, where's your where's the best place to ride in Washington? For you, Bellingham. <laughs> is oh it? yeah. And, okay. Yeah, I love it here. Why? Um, well, we have the perfect combination of awesome terrain, incredibly well built trails. Um, and delicious food trucks and coffee shops to visit at the end of the ride or before the ride, right? I know you're a big fan of those. Um, no, it is just, honestly, like we have a great variety of trails. We have a lot to pick from. We have um, outdoor spaces really close to town. So it's really easy to get to. Like I can leave my garage and pedal up to Galbraith Mountain and not have to get in a car to go there. I love that. There's other places in mm -hmm. Washington, obviously that offer that too, but it is kind of a special, our weather, our climate, our dirt, our terrain, the elevation, the steepness, all of the things, the giant trees, the ferns, like it all kind of makes this it's just this like great recipe for um, an awesome experience in the woods on your bike. And if you want to know what my favorite trail is, it's the one I'm on. Yes. <laughs> the one I'm on. That's no, I know. that's no fair. That's a, I, I fell for that. I have to let you slide with that. All right. How many months of the year do you ride? 12 months out of the year. Do you, you ride 12 months? You ride year round? Yeah. We get right. Yeah. Usually if it's, yeah. if it's like a really heavy snow um, in town, like, we had this last January, late December, January, we got like the snow apocalypse here in Bellingham and uh, that took us off our bikes for a little bit. But yeah, for the most part, I mean, honestly, like really high speed winds, like the really windy days are kind of the only weather that keeps me from riding. Um, when I was working at a desk nine to five, I only had the weekends or like evenings in the summer to ride. I would just go out whenever just because mm -hmm. I had to get a ride in. But now with my current gig, I kind of build my own schedule and spend a lot of time on my bike. So if it's really rainy and crummy out, I just sometimes don't go ride because I don't have to, but you can. Okay. Approximately how many miles do you think you're riding a year? Oh, thousands. I don't know. Yeah. Probably thousands. Yeah. Really? I mean, you think thousands? I think I, well, that wouldn't be too yeah. hard. I mean, if you ride every day, you do. If you do six miles a day, that's thousands. Yeah. So yeah, okay. All right. Or a thousand? I don't know. I don't. I'm not really great at tracking my rides. Um. Okay. Well, what do you think? You just got done saying you don't track them well, but okay. What do you think a typical your last ride that you just completed? Yeah, I actually did log my last ride um, yesterday afternoon. I went for a twelve and a half mile ride with about fifteen. 100 feet of elevation gain. Okay. Is that typical yeah, that was just like, or is that extreme? That was just like, no, like a little, 
had two hours to pop out for a little ride left for my house, pedaled around Galbraith and came home. Yeah. Okay. All right. For Radical Roots MTB, what's, what do you want the future to look like? What's next? Um, what's next? You know, um, I've been really working on building my team and um, getting other, especially women in my community um, who find great reward in doing this work of being a mountain bike coach. I want to give them more opportunity. And I really pride myself on having a business that can pay these women to do meaningful work in their communities. So for me, the growth is honestly just giving more people the opportunity to, to do this line of work and feel successful and effective at it. So I think of Angie, the co coach Angie from 10, 15 years ago and how I was traveling around the country to do these coaching gigs and getting this opportunity that is so rare. Like a lot of people I know would not have that opportunity. So, um, for me to have a coaching business here in town and allow that not only my community of riders to um, experience this, ex you know, coaching, but like the next layer of actually giving coaches an opportunity to do this work and get better at it and feel really empowered um, in executing this job of being a coach. You know, I just, I just think that's so cool and pr gives me so much pride. So yeah, I mean, the future is just like, building my team, building my programs, reaching more people. I mean, I wouldn't mind if it spread outside of Bellingham, but honestly, I don't even think it needs to. Bellingham is such a mecca and attracts enough people from out of town. I have clients from all over the country that come to Bellingham to get training from me and my coaches. So I just want to be doing more of that and yeah, see radical racing really take off. It would be super cool to grow that team and just have another space for young girls to, um, you know, push themselves and gain some real life experience in a safe and supportive atmosphere to lead into these strong, independent women that we know the world needs more of. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm on a page. The hero image says fun, safe progression for mountain bikers. I think it's your services page. And I, and I'm fixated on this, bike because once again the fact that i understand a bicycle has two wheels is about the extent of my knowledge of the sport but this thing doesn't this thing looks more like a bmx bike to me um it seems like a very radical frame it's blue it's got a red is it a, is the fork mm -hmm, red on mm -hmm. it yep okay and that is that a typical mountain bike these days? Yeah, so that um, that is a wow. transition patrol. Um, so yeah, it's got 27 and a half inch wheels, whereas a BMX bike would have like 20 or 22 inch wheels. So BMX bikes have really okay. small wheels. They usually have rigid right. um, fork and frame, so no suspension. Um, usually like taller right. handlebars, like they'll have this big kind of like moto looking right. handlebar. Uh, but yeah, this has bigger wheels. I've got front suspension, rear suspension. Um, that has rear suspension. How does yeah. that thing have a rear suspension? If you suspension zoom in, it? it's kind of hard to see, but if you zoom in, um, kind of like right under my right knee there, there's another little. Oh, is that you right? That's me yeah, in the gold shorts. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that canister there that. Yeah. Okay, kind of like right? under my water oh, bottle. Okay. You see my water, my gray water bottle, yeah. that little yeah. canister in there. That's a rear shock. So that's helping suspend the rear wheel, whereas the red fork you pointed out, that's suspending like my arms or my front wheel. 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that just looks like a very radical um, frame design to me. I, I think of mountain bikes not, yeah, not like that. That's that's really yeah. Very, very cool. Um, BMX bikes don't always have gears either. So if you see like behind my foot, they've got that big cassette mm-hmm. of gears, big knobby tires. Right. So how many how many gears does this bike uh, have? Twelve. Twelve. So the front the front is a single ring. It's a single with twelve, with 12 in, the back. in the back. Yep. It's called wow. Eagle. Okay. SRAM Eagle. Mm-hmm. And that's a carbon okay. fiber frame from Transition. Yeah, it's a pop. The, this bike is one mountain bike of the year multiple times from big media outlets and stuff. So, yeah, that's a. So what would outlet. just just to help me out here? What would a bike like that cost somebody? Um, that bike's probably around seven grand, I would say, give or take. You can definitely get some. I mean, you can get mountain bikes for thousand dollars, or you know, right? More basic hardtails or used bikes. You could probably get in the like under sub two thousand dollar range, but something like this, it's carbon fiber. It's actually um, got electronic shifting and a what we call a dropper post. So my seat post with the touch of a button goes from being all the way up where I can get good leg extension for climbing hills and pedaling, and then I just push a button and sit on it and it drops and stays in the frame. So I can move the bike through my legs and get behind the saddle and stuff for more technical riding, jumping, descending things. So the seat moves in and out of your way for, so it's got some bells and whistles on it that make this one a little bit more fancy, but you don't need all that to get started for sure. It's like the car that's got the the position, you know, like you, the driver, you hit driver button one for, for yeah. like I'm tall. So yep. I hit that you'd hit driver button two and it moved the seat yeah. for you. That's, oh, I had no idea bikes, but I do have one, one, question about carbon fiber is it once not does it handle the repeated pounding i don't want to say abuse and but you know you you guys are you're putting these bikes through a lot of a lot of stress and strain on them does carbon fiber hold Mm -hmm. up to that yeah carbon fiber is actually really strong so uh if you know, if I were to go mock turkey down a hill and run into a tree with my front wheel, like that kind of an impact, it's not designed to take. So it could crumple the frame. Uh, but if that were hard okay. enough to break my carbon, it certainly would have bent the aluminum frame too. Right. So yeah, right. there's still weaknesses okay. to aluminum that, yeah, bikes are, right. mi- yeah, they're kind of built at the standard to hold a certain amount of impact and abuse. Because absolutely, you are riding it down technical terrain, big impacts harsh rocks are full, you know, like there's, it's all a thing. So yeah, they've mm-hmm. got to be pretty tough. Okay. And they are. Well, we weren't going to necessarily talk about this, but we, now I have to bring it up because you, you know, we just use harsh terrain. Running into abuse. a tree. Uh-huh. Running into a tree. Yeah. Foosh. Fooshes. <laughs> what you told me when we talked on the phone was that probably the most common injury is, is the broken collarbone. Right. Is that safe to us? Yeah, is that, pretty- is that correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. The foosh, which is, you know, the full outstretched arm, fall, scraped, abrasion, broken arm. Fall. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, and that's, um, and that's more of an abrasion, right? Where we've torn the skin off or is that, do they include that if like you're breaking mm-hmm. your wrist? Yeah. Foosh is just a fall on an outstretched hand. So it's really not just in mountain biking. A lot of sports um, end up with, you know, okay. that's just like a term they use, I think in the ER or whatever to describe like how somebody, um, 
okay. you know, was inflicted with injury. So that, I mean, it's broken fingers, wrists, elbows, it's, it's mm-hmm. scrapes. You're just probably not going to the hospital if it's just a minor scrape, but yeah, you might need stitches. Stitches just are pretty beers. common. That's just yeah. a, right. Two, just the, just minor scrapes, just a couple of beers. Yeah, like, exactly. That, you know, that maybe be like a things, mere right? flesh wound is like a one beer um, crash. <laughs> but yeah, if you actually need stitches, that's probably more of like a two or three beer crash. <laughs> From a safety Don't standpoint. drink your beer until after the, the ride. <laughs> there, there's there's, there's, the, there's the, the safety tip that we were looking for. No. From a, sa- <laughs> From a safety standpoint, what... Because okay, you're 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 moving downhill, you're climbing uphill, you're going through corners, you're jumping, you're doing all these things. Not that much different than say snowboarding or skiing, because you're you're moving downhill. You know, so so similar similar activities, similar. In your opinion, what is a, a good safety technique that maybe people don't think about? Mm. I mean, everyone's wearing helmets these days. I'm old enough to remember when somebody wore a helmet, you laughed right. at them. You know, like, come on. Um, now everyone's wearing these futuristic looking helmets, gloves. What, but what can people do? Is there, is there something that is maybe under promoted as a safety method? Yeah, take a mountain bike lesson. <laughs> Okay. Well, Honestly. learning to fall on a gymnastic mat from your knees is, yeah, you know, I mean, right? like you mentioned, you mentioned hula hoop earlier. So, yeah. okay. I think, I think people, like I said earlier, they take biking. It's like, it's the toy. It's this kid's sport. It's something they've done since they were kids. So actually knowing how to like ride a bike down the street is, you know, it's not easy, but it's something that a lot of people kind of figure out on their own or with the help of like a parent or a friend or something, right? Like you figure out how to get, take those first few pedal strokes. You start to understand the foundation of balancing and pedaling. And then it's like, boom, okay, I know how to ride a bike, but like riding a bike and then riding a bike off road on undulating terrain at breakneck speeds well, is kind of another layer to it. And I think people miss or like, you know, um, they don't put enough weight in the difference there. So riding your bike to your friend's house down the street and your cul-de-sac or whatever, versus taking it on a black diamond trail with jumps and rocks and roots and high speed sections and trees and all these things. It's like, yeah, there are these safety elements. So honestly, like I think taking a mountain bike lesson is one way to really learn the ins and outs of all of these pieces of your bike and these techniques so that you build this really strong foundation so, um, yeah, it's kind of inevitable that you're going to get in over your head when you're mountain biking. It's what you do then that is, can save, make or break you. Right. So, um, well, see, I'm looking at this in this bike that you, you're, you're in this picture. I'm still looking at the blue bike with the red fork. I may, okay. You, you know, it's, yes, it's different that if I were riding a bike from my house to my friend's house versus taking a, a multi-thousand dollar device out. I'm not going to take my insert name of consumer brand, say Schwinn, no, no disrespect to Schwinn, but my, my bike that I bought at Walmart versus a, a bike that's the price of a used car or higher, right? I mean, I would think, I would think if I were investing this money into equipment that I would also want to know that I could get the most out of that equipment. Cause I'm not going to take that 
multi-thousand dollar bike to ride to my friend's house. That just seems like taking a semi to 7-Eleven to go, you know, buy milk. It's a little bit much. When you train people, are you seeing, do most of your, do many people come to you after they've had a fall and then realize this, or do more people come to you to prevent that first fall? Uh, Both. Yeah. I don't know the breakdown exactly, but definitely both. Yeah. I'm getting riders that um, have had close calls or they've seen their friends crash or they just know, right? Like it's, it's not, it's not rocket science to know, like I'm about to take my bike off road. This could be dangerous, you know, or they've learned how to ski or snowboard with a coach and instructor. And they realize like, Ooh, that was super effective at keeping me safe and just helping fast mm-hmm. track things, right? Like there's a lot to figure out. So yeah, you can go try and figure it out on your own. You can watch YouTube videos to help you. And that might give you some pieces, but actually having a coach watch you and give you specific error detect like detecting your specific errors and correcting those before they become bigger issues. Um, I think people just recognize the value in that and come to me. And then absolutely I get riders who um, have had really bad crashes and they're just getting back on the horse and they want to make sure they do it right. So they're coming to me to get over just the mental blocks or the physical blocks that they have from their crash. Um, Or, you know, they like, when I started riding, I did have some instruction, right? I took that beginning bicycling class, but there were still a lot of things as I was pushing my, my riding that would make me crash. So with cornering, like cornering is just a super, I think it's not a sexy skill. People aren't often reaching out to me to like learn how to corner better. Um, but when we start working <laughs> on their skills, they're like, oh, I really want to learn how to clear these jumps. And it's like, okay, yeah, but you got to be able to carry speed to this corner before you can clear that jump. So I end up teaching cornering a lot. Um, and yeah, for me, it was like, oh. as I was learning how to um, mountain bike, I just kind of guessed or like figured out how to navigate corners enough, but I would have these real inconsistencies. So sometimes I would nail a corner and sometimes I would totally just like lay my bike over and donate skin to the ground. So I, and I couldn't figure out why. <laughs> Oh, that got you good. Sorry, that was <laughs> that was awesome. Just supermaning through dirt with my elbows, like getting tore up. I'm like, what went wrong? I don't understand. Um, and yeah, it turns out I was just like not paying attention to how I was shifting my hips and my weight. And so I'd hit quarters at various amounts of speed with a various amount of a berm is like a catch to the corner. So a big berm is like allows you to carry speed through the turn as opposed to like a flat turn where you might wash out, it might be easier to wash out or whatever. So um, yeah, I had had all this inconsistency in my cornering. And then as I was getting my certifications, I was improving my riding simultaneously. And that's when I figured out I was cornering all wrong. And once I had a coach hold me in a static hold, like I was for Glinda in that photo and actually show me the nuanced movements about balance. And so there's stuff you're supposed to be making your bike do, and then positions to move your body into and things you're doing with your brakes and your eyes and all this happening all at once. It's very, it's a very complex skill with a lot of variety, right? Like there's high speed corners, slow corners, tight, broad, steep, shallow like it's kind of this whole loose dirt tacky dirt like you can just get this whole variety everything in between every combination thereof so um, with that kind of variety comes uh, a lot of mystery and if you don't know the technique so um yeah when it comes to um i kind of sorry i kind of derailed there where how i was answering your question but yeah there's this um So yeah, so a rider might come to me because they're having this inconsistency. So like, sometimes I feel like I rail a corner and other times I, you know, eat it and 
Um, so I'm able to kind of watch their technique and make some refinements or have them totally erase what they know about cornering and start over again to build up proper technique. And then they're finding that success in corners makes them more confident carrying speed, which makes those jumps easier, et cetera. So it all kind of like builds like that. Do you use video? Do you record? Oh, so you're yeah. using. Yeah. I've got okay. this really cool right. app. I don't know if they're still around, but it's called coach's eye. I think it was developed for um, like baseball and golf swings, baseball bat and golf techniques. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I have this really cool app. I can film a rider, switch spots with them. They film me. Then we can watch it in slow-mo. I can draw lines and circles over the screen to point out like, oh, you see how your shoulders are here? And oh, then wow. we can compare videos. You're like, oh, when I'm hitting the jump, my shoulders are there and yours are here. So let's see if we can move yours more into this position. So they're getting visual. Yeah. The thing with um, teaching people anything is that there's a variety of learning styles. So um, yeah, finding mm-hmm. ways mm-hmm. to explain these complex moves and reach a variety of learning styles is kind of an art form. And it's something I really dig into and nerd out over. So I want people to see it. I want to explain it to them. I'm going to show them. I'm going to have them try it. I'm going to video them. They're going to watch videos of themselves. They're going to watch videos of me. We're going to make edits, redo it, static holds. Like, yeah, it's a whole, um, comp- like there's just like a ton of ways to go about it. So I try to really hone in on what the student needs and then take it from there. I like to say, and this is one thing I teach my coaches too, is that our number one job as an instructor is to find out what our students know already and then proceed accordingly. So you're not boring someone with information they already have, but you're also not throwing information at them they're not ready for. So it is a lot of assessments and one-on-one. So I was think I was joking with you earlier about how I learned how to hula hoop on YouTube videos, right? Like YouTube taught me a lot of great little fun hula hooping skills. Um, you know, my life and limb is not risked necessarily when I'm hula hooping. Sure. I might like bonk my forehead or something silly, but like probably not going to like seriously injure myself with a hula hoop. Knock on wood. Um, (laughs) Anything's possible. Um, But with mountain biking, yeah, I mean, you'll watch a YouTube video on how to hit a drop. So a drop would be like a takeoff ramp where you fly through the air and then land both wheels together. And if you, if things go wrong, it could definitely lit you know, turn itself into OTB, a foosh, et cetera. So um, you can watch the video and get pointers. And then when you go out and try it, if you have no one watching you and stopping you, let's say you have this really bad habit that's just getting worse as you add speed or whatever, your timing's off, et cetera. And you just keep trying it over and over and over again because no one's there correcting you. You really could end up getting hurt. So there's a lot to be learned in books and online and through these YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. Certainly they serve a great, purpose in educating people on the techniques, but actually having a coach one-on-one, you know, watch you or video you. And so you can see it is um, kind of the next level of keeping it safe and adding that progression in a way that's less frustrating too, right? Like you're getting that direct feedback. You can ask questions with a coach. Um, It really lends itself well to like being specific to helping you and not just kind of being like generic information to help just anybody. That makes sense. Okay. It does. So when you're not in the saddle or coaching, what do you like to do for fun? Um, ooh, see, uh, running a business takes a lot of my time. So if I'm not on my bike, I'm that. actually like sitting right here in my office on my laptop. Um, for fun, I you do. <laughs> for fun, yes. I invoice people. <laughs> oh, 
Yay. No, I, um, I'm really into, um, I love doing yoga and Pilates. Those are some activities I do off the bike that help keep my body tuned up and able to take impacts and injury or prevent mm-hmm. injury from happening. Um, and I just really love spending time doing that. Um, I love hanging out with my family. I love cooking, um, just little at home meals that I make. Um, I have a pet box turtle that I've had for 26 years. So weirdly find a lot of enjoyment spending time with him. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, and I stand up paddleboard mm. in the summer. That's a really fun way to get out and explore um, in a different way than mountain biking. Um, but yeah, kind of my number one. It's hard. Yeah, bikes, bikes and water. No, don't they go don't. <laughs> it's honestly, um, I, I'm on my bike a lot because of my career, but um, just having mm-hmm. the, like yesterday, I just went for a solo bike ride and it felt like such a rare treat to just go in the woods by myself. And I just stopped and picked berries whenever I wanted to and ran across this buck in the woods. And I stopped and filmed him for a minute because he was cool. Um, so yeah, honestly, like one of the, one of my favorite pastimes is riding my bike and I have a hard time finding enough time for it. So well, I squeeze that in whenever I can, but um, okay. yeah. Tell me a couple of Okay. So when we talked earlier, you know, I always ask about coffee. So Bellingham and coffee, what, what do you got to share with me? Bellingham and coffee. The coffee scene is strong in Bellingham. I started, I was, you know, we were talking about black drop, RIP black drop. We really missed that coffee shop. And, yeah. um, I'm, uh, I make cold brew lattes at home for myself a lot. And so I don't go out to coffee quite okay. as much as I used to, but, uh, cause I've kind of got my perfect little recipe that I like here, but I, um, really do enjoy banter is, um, they were anomaly for a while, but now they're um, called banter. They have delicious coffee and really good breakfast burritos. Um, Okay. Shout out to Emil. That's his restaurant and it's so good. His cafe. And he opened a restaurant recently too. It's banter after hours. And so those are two really like banter after hours for the cocktails and dinner and then banter for coffee and breakfast burritos. Um, as a longtime Bellingham resident, I have frequented Lettered Street Coffee House quite a bit. They're a great little coffee shop in the Lettered Streets neighborhood. And they've been around as long mm-hmm. as I can remember. I feel like as long as I've been a Bellingham resident, Lettered Street Coffee House has existed. And they nail it. They've got the right atmosphere. That's probably one of the closer vibes to Black Drop that I can um, think of where it's real okay. down to earth. You'll walk in and you'll see, uh, you know, like um, all kinds of folks in there on their laptops and sipping coffee and socializing. And it used to be walking distance from my house before I moved. So, um, really like lettered street coffee house. Um, your, your, your cold brew, mm -hmm. I'm going to go, I'm going to rewind the cold brew for a second though. So what, what, what coffee roasters Mm. do you use for stuff at home? Coffee roasters. Yeah. They have this blend. Um, I want to say it's like the Viking blend or something. Um, I'll see exactly what it is, but they have like this, their coffee is delicious. And I make a little, I basically just like put grind coffee beans in uh, my French press in the fridge overnight. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Yeah. make make my cold brew that way. And then, yeah, I love oat milk in it, like ice oat milk, sometimes a little chocolate oat milk, just a dab. (laughs) okay does bellingham have good tacos oh yeah oh it's raptor ridge that's the beat that's the roast from bellingham coffee roasters and raptor ridge is a trail 
and I'm sure it's other things, but it's a trail off of the Chuck and Nuts, and it's a really great mountain bike trail too. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. Well, there's, I see some synergy yeah. there. So, okay. Um, sorry. What did you ask me? Oh, tacos. 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 Um, yeah. So one of my favorite food trucks is Sammy's vegan food truck. I'm not vegan, but I actually really love vegan food and I'll eat it when I get the opportunity if it's good because, um, I love animals. So why not? And so Sammy does these, um, she does tacos, but she has this, like, she has these really great vegan sandwiches that are so delightful. Um, I'm also a really big fan of cafe rumba, which is, uh, Peruvian joint here in town that makes incredible Mm. sandwiches and desserts and drinks. And Oh yeah. They're, um, they're delicious. Um, tacos. Um, I eat. Yeah. It's It's not every town can have great tacos. And if you say Taco Bell, we're just going to end the conversation by the way. Um, Just, just (laughs) super Mario's is El Salvadorian. Their tacos are so good because they put like the cilantro and the onions on it. So delicious. And their food truck, but also have a brick and mortar off of Northwest street. And then, um, I'm okay. a big fan of Neto's burritos. Neto's N E T O S apostrophe S. It's um out in the Birchwood neighborhood, and it's actually kind of like a Hispanic food convenience store. And they whip up really good tacos and burritos. Um, hot tip, a little off the menu. They do a California burrito that's got French fries in it. That is so freaking good. And their pastries, like they bake a bunch of um, pastries. So you got churros and all kinds of cakes and all, all kinds of stuff in their little pastry pantry. So I go there for the burritos, but stay for the pastries. Okay. All right. So we have three, three last okay. things to hear. Number one, where can people find out more about what you're doing? www.radicalrootsmtb.com. Um, you can also follow Radical okay. Roots MTB on Instagram. That's where I post a lot of our upcoming classes and events. Uh, if you follow Transition Bikes on Instagram or social media, you'll get updates on us there as well. Okay. What didn't I ask you that I should have asked you? Um, I think you were going to ask me what's cool in Bellingham or like what's happening here. Was that still a question to come up yeah. or do you care? Yeah, let's okay. let's go. Yeah, no, so, I care. Absolutely. Care. Um, Transition Bikes has launched this new thing we're doing once a month. It's called a barrier breaking ride. And the idea here is that we try to break as many barriers to entry into mountain biking as possible. So we have demo bikes. If you come an hour before the ride, you can get set up on a free demo bike. So you don't need to have a mountain bike. We've got helmets and shoes and knee pads and gloves and stuff to loan out. So if you don't have any of the equipment, you can come get equipment. And then, um, a lot of us who are work at transition or ride for transition, we're, um, coaches and mentors and ride leaders. We, um, patient and empathetic and we take riders out on Galbraith and we, it's called a no drop ride, which means you won't be getting dropped as in there's going to be somebody making sure you get off the mountain safely. Um, cause you know, there's a lot of twists okay. and turns and intersections and trails. Like I like to describe Galbraith mountain as a spaghetti bowl of trails. If you look at a map, it's just chaos. There's so much to pick from and you could certainly end up, you know, as a, as an inexperienced rider, uh, even experienced riders have done this where they end up descending the wrong side of the mountain and they're miles from where they parked or where their house is or where town is. So you can get back, but it's like, Uh that wouldn't be the best end to arrive. So, um, we do these no drop rides where you just basically have, um, 
you know, folks who are familiar with the sport and with the trails guiding you so they don't get lost. We've all got first aid kits in case anyone gets hurt. We got multi tools <laughs> and spare tubes and things like that. If there's a mechanical. So we sort of just try to create this environment that's super welcoming. It gives you all the things that you need. If you are curious about mountain biking and you want to try it, but you don't know where to start, the barrier breaking rides at Transition Outpost, that's the bike shop at Transition. Um, so our next one is September 1st. So it's coming up uh, this week. And okay. um, you can find out more about that on Transition's website or their Instagram. Basically, we meet at the outpost. If you want a bike, come around four o'clock, get set up on a bike, and the ride heads out at five. And then we have a little shindig party at the outpost afterwards to keep the mingling and fun okay. times going. So I feel like that's really cool. That's awesome. Um, We've got um, our Radical Ripper program for youth. So if anyone's listening to this and is looking for something for their 10 to 18 year old daughter to get into, the Radical Rippers is a great way to start. If they're even younger than that, the Flying Squirrels is a great way to get them. I, I know, love those names. Great. You should see the t-shirt. <laughs> the Flying Squirrel t-shirt is my favorite. Um, and then uh, check out the WBC, the Whatcom Mountain Bike Coalition. They've got an organization called the Joy Riders, which is a group of women volunteers who take women out on trails. Um, so same idea, no, no drop rides. And those are all levels of ability and interest. They break into groups and go out. Um, the biggest fundraiser of the year for the WBC, which is our non which is a nonprofit here in town, is called Shoot the Trails. And this is a photo and video contest. So I feel like even if you're not into mountain biking, you could attend Shoot the Trails and be fully entertained uh, and really get a glimpse at what the sport is about. But it's all these uh, amateur photographers and videographers that um, put their submissions in to be judged by all of us in the community. So we get together. There's raffle prizes. There's a big... Um, uh, auction for prizes and we watch all the videos and then vote the community votes on their favorite and then they get prizes and then all the photos are on display for you to do like a silent voting on your favorite photos and so it's the biggest fundraiser for WBC so it all goes back to the trails which is awesome but then it highlights our local artists and writers in a really cool way I love the videos that the youth come up with like some of my favorite videos and shoot the trails are always from kids and um so that's <laughs> okay. coming up in i think i want to say that's in september but tickets are going on sale soon for that um i mentioned transition women's weekend that's happening in october registration is open now on my website radicalrootsmtb.com mm -hmm. if you just google i think mountain biking in bellingham i should be one of the first sites that pops up well, and we'll put okay, links, cool. we'll put links in Perfect. the show notes too. So, Perfect. but yeah, we'll do that. And then there's this, right. um, for people who maybe just want to see and be a spectator to the sport, they may be, but whether you ride or not, there's this really amazing event that happens in town, a local hometown hero, Hannah Bergman puts it on. It's called hang time. It's transition and Red Bull, um, sponsored event. And there's this set of jumps on Galbraith called blue steel. And they're the largest public jumps in, I don't know, the state, maybe the country, but they're enormous jumps. Like I'm not hitting these jumps. These are for professional, like slope style free ride athletes. Um, and hang time is an event that brings all female identifying riders from all over the world together to hit these jumps and showcase their skills. Um, they're throwing tricks and backflips and doing all this really cool stuff. I'm on the mic and seeing it because I'm the hype girl. So um, that event is the first weekend of October. I don't know if Hannah's formally announced it yet. Oops, sorry if I spilled the beans on that, but it happened for the first time ever last summer and it was a huge hit. It's really cool. If you live in Bellingham, just a short hike up Galbraith can get you at the base of this 
course, and you will your mind will be blown at the level of athleticism and showmanship on display here. And even some of our radical rippers, some of the junior girls are hitting and tricking these jumps. And it's so inspiring and so cool. So if you're around right. and you want to check out um, the sport in a way to like just spectating it, you should definitely check out hang time. Okay. This is the, so used to be, I'd ask the question at the end, like, what didn't I ask you? That used to be how we close the show, but we're trying out a new closing now. All right. So not sure how this is going to go, but we're going to try. All right. Listen to the question carefully. Cake or pie and why? Pie, because Mike would kill me if I said cake. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Mike. He wouldn't kill me if I said cake. Okay. Pie is definitely a favorite in our household. I mean, a really good pie crust is just such a delight. And I'm a really big fan of berries, right? Like part of why I love living here in Bellingham and in Washington state is because our abundance of delicious berries. So anything you can fill with berries, which I'd actually just had um, from pure bliss. I had the berry shortcake and that was phenomenal. So I do like pie when it can be filled with, or excuse me, I do like cake when it can be filled with berries, but pie, yeah, apple, mm-hmm. I love apples, another Washington State thing, apple pie, berry pie, you okay. can put ice cream on it, whipped cream, whatever, like big okay. fan of buttery, crusty pie. <laughs> All right. Perfectly. Ex- either answer is sure. completely acceptable. What's there's your no, answer, there's Scott? No, what no are you? Are you answer. a pie or cake? You know, I, I haven't, you know, it's funny. I've asked that question two or three times and I haven't given it as much thought and it may be because you just hyped it up, but I'm probably going to go pie, (laughs) but, but, but here's something that somebody threw at me. And so here, let me throw this at you. Cheesecake. I mean, I don't think when I think of cake, I think of like, you know, sheet cake or, you know, red velvet cake and things like that. I didn't think of cheese and I love cheesecake. So, but I'll probably go pie and I'll probably go, I really like strawberry pie. That's, that's, that, yeah, Mm -hmm. I really do. Or yeah, I really do like strawberry. So that's probably my Mm -hmm. answer, but I do think it was influenced by your your hype. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, You you might, had you hyped up red velvet cake or something? I might be saying cake (laughs) to be honest. So. You'll just have to listen to future see episodes and see mind. if I yeah. waffle. And, you know, also another. Yeah, I might uh, just oh, waffle. Right. Waffles. Now those are legit delicious. Um, see, I'm not a waffle fan. No, I'm not a waffle hmm. fan. They just have so many little buckets oh, for but, syrup and butter. Really? That all those little pockets. See, I don't like. Mm. See, I don't like maple wow. syrup. Okay. I don't. I yeah, don't like fine. it. And and so pancakes and waffles. Not as high on your list. Uh, another th- another plug not, for pie no. is you can also make savory pies that are delicious. Like I love a good chicken pot pie or like a curry vegetable pie. Oh. So I feel like the flexibility that pie offers also makes it very attractive. Yeah, I don't think chicken <laughs> pot cake would be very good. Yeah. Okay. On that note. All right. Well, Angie, thank you so much for doing this. This was a lot of fun for me, considering I know next to nothing about what you're the sport, and so it was informative. I've enjoyed it. I've learned. Let me a know lot. if you want to try it out, Scott. And You'd be in good hands. We got you. I have troubles walking. I don't know. You put me on a two wheel device and ask me to pedal and steer at the same time, and then you might as well ask me to walk and chew gum. It's just not going to go. Well. I believe it or not, and I'm, I'm, I'm better on a the, bike than on my feet too. I'm a little bit of a klutz. In real life. But the thing is, is like, I'm old and bones don't heal 
you know, a broken collarbone would set yeah, me back no, for months. Nobody wants be, to break bones. It would just yeah. be yeah. awful. Right. Okay. Well, thanks yeah, so much. Yeah, thanks, Scott. I really appreciate this. And I love what you've got going on here. And thanks for highlighting the cool things that our state has to offer. Because just it's just awesome. I really appreciate it. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.